You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear Saints, a very Merry Christmas to all of you. I hope you got exactly what you wanted. Maybe it was that new tool that you had your eye on. Maybe it was a new video game that you wanted. Maybe you just got a little bit of peace and quiet while the grandparents took the kids for a little while. Um, whatever it may have been, I, I hope you got what you wanted. You know, present buying, if you think about it, is, is somewhat of an art form. You have to know what the person likes and what they don't like. And you have to know what they have and what they don't have. Many times, you end up having to rely on some inside information to figure out what to get the person. You talk to their spouse, parents, children, friends, co-workers, teachers, neighbors, their third cousin twice removed, whoever, whoever you can get your hands on to find out just the perfect gift to get them. Think about how difficult this is to do. It's hard enough for us to figure out what, what we want and what we like, let alone someone else. Half the time, we don't know what we want. Which brings me to the point of this nonsense so far. I want to ask you a little question. Who are you? Now, normally, here is where I would break into song, singing Who Are You by The Who, but... Unfortunately for me, and fortunately for you, um, my wife loves me and told me that if I did that, she would walk out during my sermon. You see, my wife knows me. She knows who I am. So she knows well enough what I'm getting myself into deep. So I don't have a song for you today, but I still have the question, who are you? It's such a simple question, while at the same time, when you start digging at it a little bit, becomes quite complicated. If I were to come up to you after the service and I didn't know you, and I asked you the question, who are you, you would probably just respond with your name. I'm Bob Bobberson, or whatever your name may be. Now, this pretty common answer to the question, right? But does it really answer the question? Does just knowing someone's name really mean that you know who that person is? Maybe it would be more appropriate to present someone with your social security number. After all, that contains everything there is to know about you, right? Where you were born, what you've done your whole life, where you've worked, where you went to school, including your name. Um, But again, does that really tell us the answer to our question? Who are you? Maybe in addition to the social security number, we should present our DNA profile as well. Uh, Aside from the fact we'd all have to learn how to read DNA profiles, um, this, this probably still wouldn't work because our DNA, while it does tell you your family history, where you were born, the, the generations that have come before you, and you have a social security number so you know everything about the person in this, uh, the, the, that they've done through their life. Um, I'm not sure exactly uh, that this still answers our question. Um, in, in essence, when you're asking someone, who are you, you want to know what makes them unique. You want to know what makes them tick. Um, you want to know their identity more than who are you. Maybe we should ask that. What's your identity instead of who are you? Um, now, what's kind of funny about this is that the word identity actually has a history of meaning sameness, not difference. It's the same concept. 
when you have a mathematical formula that's an identity, like x squared equals x times x. That means that x squared is the same as x times x. That's a mathematical identity. It's the same on both sides of the equation. Um, which kind of begs the question, if historically identity has meant the same, why has it flipped to mean the opposite? Uh, I don't know. Um, but what I do know is that Paul does answer this in our epistle text. Um, he's addressing this identity crisis that we have. Um, Paul answers this question in his typical Pauline style. The question isn't explicitly stated, but you can tell that it's behind the scenes. Look at all the different ways that Paul refers to the people in the church of Galatia. Sons, offspring, heirs, slaves, children. And he also refers to Jews, Greeks, slave, free, men, women, those baptized, those adopted, and those under the law. Can there be any question that Paul has in mind the same idea? He is writing about all these different ways that you can think about a person's identity. And what is underlying all of this is the concept that I just talked, that I was just talking about, that our identity is not what makes us unique or different, but what makes us the same. So, how are we alike? Well, apart from the obvious fact that we're all human, uh, the other most glaring thing that makes us all alike is our flesh and the sinfulness that comes from it. I believe that this may actually be the reason which the question of identity has been flipped to mean difference instead of sameness. We don't want to be like one another. We don't want to be the same as that sinful person sitting next to us. We like to act like the Pharisee in the temple saying, I thank you, God, that I'm not like that tax collector back there. We see ourselves as being above those who are sinful. Even those who realize this still fall into this trap more often than we care to admit. But we're also alike in our misconception of freedom. Now, in this country, we like to boast that we are a proud, free country. This is what the allure of America was like for all immigrants and still is today. What we fail to realize is that we're not really free at all. And in this case, what holds true in the secular side of things also holds true in the spiritual. Jesus said, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And so we are all slaves because of the fall to sin. But we make matters worse for ourselves. Because of our sin, we believe that we are able to overcome our sin by keeping the law. In doing this, we believe that we have freedom because of the law. On the other hand, we become tempted to remove the law from our life, thinking that we have freedom to do whatever we want because the law no longer applies to this. To these two points, Paul writes in the sixth chapter of Romans, Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means. And are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. In either case, we think that we can be free by keeping the law or that we are free so we can break the law. 
We are slaves now, not only to sin, since we cannot break ourselves free from the law, but we are now also slaves to the law. We are slaves to sin and the law. We end up putting ourselves into this brutal cycle that we can't get out of. However, the most important way in which we are all alike is the way in which God sees all of us as his creation. And the fact that God sent his only son for all of us in order that we may receive forgiveness for our sins. This is the underlying point of Paul's letter to the Galatians. This is the point of the very first line of our passage. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. And Paul realizes that this point of sonship is so important that he devotes an entire section to it, the first part of chapter 4, to explaining this concept of sonship, concluding the section with a marvelous statement about what bring what our sonship brings us. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You, brothers and sisters, are heirs to the kingdom of God. You are not an heir because you are a Jew or a Gentile. You are not an heir because you are a free person or a slave. You are not an heir because you are a man or woman. You are not an heir because you have kept the law. You are an heir because God has ordained it to be so. You are an heir because having put on Christ in your baptism, you have been buried with him in order that you might be raised again with him to newness of life. This sermon began about talking about the difficulties of gift giving. You have to know who a person is in order to give an appropriate gift. Well, dear saints, our God knows us quite well. He knows that we were lost in darkness, unable to find our way. And so he gave us the greatest gift a father can give his children. He has given his only son for us, this son who became our sin for us, this son who bore this sin on the cross on what should have been our cross, this son who died what should have been our death, this son who was raised to life in what should not have been our life. But because God knows how to give give gifts, he gives all of this to us. Who are you? You, dear saints, are sinful slaves who have been adopted into sonship by the triune God and are now called sons and heirs to the promise. Who are you? You are Christians. And being Christians, we are blessed by the many gifts which God has chosen to shower over us. He gives us the gift of his word in order that we may read, learn, mark, and inwardly digest it. He has given, also given us the preaching of his word in order that we may hear his beautiful gospel ringing in our ears. He has given us the gift of our beautiful hymnody, God's word set to music, in order that we may also sing his word, allowing it to flow from our lips. He gives us the gift of holy absolution so that we may hear from the pastor as if from Jesus himself that God forgives all our sins. He gives us the gift of holy baptism so that we may feel the water dripping from our foreheads 
and have a sure sign to point back to when the devil comes forcing us to question our salvation. And he gives us the gift of his holy supper, which we are privileged to celebrate today, so that we may smell and taste forgiveness through his body and blood shed for our sins. Hearing, seeing, tasting, smelling, speaking, God gives us gifts which touch every one of our senses, but all deliver the same thing, forgiveness of sins. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 915, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 1045 a.m. On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 830 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 930 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.